Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about sudden death syndrome in soybeans. But if you've got any questions for us, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your operation right now, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. We'll get to the agphd mailbag in just a minute, but... Before we do that, I just wanted to give you a couple of quick things to start the show on sudden death syndrome. Unfortunately, this is a disease that it just seems like we're finding more of it each year. But I would say this. We have had a lot of people this year that said, oh, I have sudden death. And we look at it and we go, I don't think you do. Um, Do you by chance have brown stem rot? Or, Darren, what's the new one? The red uh, crown rot. Yes, thank you. Red crown rot. I mean, there could be something else. So the number one thing we want you to do before you get all excited about, oh, I got to have the seed treatment and the right seed and all this other stuff for sudden death syndrome, and then as it turns out, you don't have it, um, please check on your farm if you do. And if you're not sure, talk to an agronomist, talk to a plant pathologist. Let's get this thing identified, figure out what's actually going on in your fields before you start making decisions heading down the wrong path. But anyway, with sudden death syndrome, if you do happen to have it, what you're going to see, like, let me just compare real quick, brown stem rot versus sudden death syndrome. So I'll give you just a few things you could look for on your farm. So typically the leaves, when it comes to sudden death syndrome, they're going to fall off. A lot of times with brown stem rot, they'll remain attached. In terms of the inside of the stem, with brown stem rot, like the name says, it'll be brown in the center. You might see a little brown near the edge with brown with sudden death syndrome, but it's not going to be that brown in the center like you have with brown stem rot. The roots when brown stem rot occurs usually are pretty normal, but when sudden death syndrome occurs, you got a powdery white or blue on, on the upper roots usually. And then in terms of the seed, there are actually some resistant varieties available with brown stem rot. With sudden death syndrome, There aren't any resistant varieties, but we do have some that are more tolerant than others, fortunately, out there. So I would be talking to your seed provider about that. And you definitely can use a seed treatment, too. Keep that in mind. There is Saltro. There's Olivo. So you do have some choices there. I'd also say if you're you're looking at how do you manage sudden death syndrome, tiling usually helps because sudden death typically thrives in wet soils. you got to try everything you can to reduce compaction. And... Beyond that, I I would say plant oats or even rye or brassica as a cover crop. That a lot of times can actually help reduce SDS in the future. There is something that occurs with those plants. We don't know exactly what, but after those cover crops, we've seen less SDS. We get a lot of people that'll say, oh, I'm just going to plant my varieties later because we see less SDS with later planting. Well, yeah, you probably do, but you know what you also see? Lower yields. So we don't advise you to do that. Instead, we would advise you use a seed treatment, make sure the ground's well tiled, reduce compaction, pick a more tolerant seed variety. You can apply Fortix or at R1. Okay, so that's right at first flower. And I mean, that's the only fungicide that's got any label for suppression. Otherwise, no other fungicide has a suppression label for sudden death syndrome. And then, like I say here, right away in the fall, right after harvest, plant rye, oats, or brassica. And then that will typically 
mean a little bit less SDS in the future. Oh, uh, one last thing I'll throw out there. We were doing this meeting with Neil Kinsey. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. And he said, yeah, I do. It was two years ago. And he said, there is significantly less sudden death syndrome in what he has seen when copper levels are over five parts per million. So if you are doing, when you are doing soil testing this fall, look at the ground that's going to go to beans and ground that you're worried about having sudden death syndrome. And if you see the copper is low, get some copper applied. Copper is fairly inexpensive. It's no big deal to get it out there. But that would be my suggestion. Like what we do on our farm is we just get copper sulfate, put it in the sprayer, spray it out, and we make sure we clean the sprayer out at the end of each day because copper sulfate doesn't sit well in sprayers overnight. But just go spray it out. You can get a 1,000 acres done in like three days if you're really pushing it. And then you take care of your copper levels. Hopefully, that's going to mean less sudden death syndrome moving forward. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, Brian, I uh, get this from Robert over in East Central Illinois. He said, guys, not talking farm drainage today. Wanted to talk about spray coverage. You guys have been talking about dicamba and... 2,4-D products and these low drift nozzles yep. and the the nozzle and the low low pressure guys are using reducing control and I think you're on to something. I actually got to spend some time with Nick Flights with Pentair and looking at some studies and and working with him on things. And he likes the larger droplets from their ULD nozzles, but you've got to run enough pressure to get good penetration yep. and coverage. Mm-hmm. He said even the the Super small droplet flat flat fan type. Well, it's easy for me to say flat fan type nozzles at high pressures. The the droplets got so small and they just didn't have enough push to get coverage down in there. Like having a little bigger droplet, but you still having really good pressure. Guys have been cutting pressure too much, not getting yep. good coverage on the weeds. Yep, and that's been a big problem on the fields. And I didn't believe it until I saw it myself. Hey, thanks a lot, Robert. Thanks for sending that in. You're you're right on the money here. That's a big deal that we all as farmers have to look at. And I know this year uh, I was talking with a farmer who did some drone application of fungicide. And as he was doing it, I said, okay, how many gallons are you spraying? What kind of pressure is it? And how far down through the canopy is it getting? And it was very interesting. Now that particular farmer that I'm talking about here had tar spot show up later and where he had sprayed, they didn't get coverage down to the ear leaf. So the top few leaves were covered and, and protected, but down below that, they had tar spot because they didn't get good coverage. So I'm not talking against drone application or against ground rigs or aerial application. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You have to make sure you're getting good coverage on the weeds you want to control or the leaves you want to protect with a fungicide. That's really important. So make sure you're checking that on your farms too. Hey, Robert, thanks for the email. Really appreciate that. We'll be right back talking sudden death syndrome after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about sudden death syndrome in soybeans and also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Of course, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Got this one from Lee who says, uh, guys, you're talking about residue in the field and do you leave it out there? Do you bail it up? Uh, one thing you didn't mention is that in flood irrigated fields, bailing residue is great. So you don't have a nightmare trying to irrigate that field the next year. All the residue can uh, become trash and plug up the irrigation rows really quick. Hey, that's a good point, Lee. We don't think about that because we aren't doing any flood irrigation here. But um, yes, if you're in, in uh, different tillage and farming situations, uh, I mean, there's certainly going to be good reasons to pick up any excess residue and and uh, get it out of the way. Thanks for, for sending that. We really appreciate that. Uh, let's head down to Missouri. Got Jeff Ellis with us right now with Syngenta. And Jeff, uh, you, you got to hate it when you say, man, uh, Egg PhD would love to have you on the show today, but we're going to be talking about sudden death syndrome, not the most fun thing to fight. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <clears throat> it's still exciting. You know, the one thing about it, though, is there are there are solutions and they're maybe not like, hey, we're never going to see this again. But uh, this doesn't have to be this terrible train wreck out in the field. We got some things we can do. Yeah, I mean, to think of really, it starts from, a, you know, a really good seed treatment such as Saltro. So, I mean, to, to get really on top of uh, SDS, you've got to start with a, an effective seed seed treatment and uh because that's where the infection occurs and you know if you're waiting to you know mid to late season when the symptoms show up you know it's too late then so there's no really foliar answer to sds you've got to get it you know with a seed treatment that's when, because like i said that's when the infection starts 
You know, when you think about those early season decisions, and I know I, I look at corn rootworm the very same way on, on corn. If we don't make that decision to use a trait or put some insecticide out, it's too late. There isn't a rescue to this. And, and we have taken a lot of questions over the years from farmers who have said, man, I got I got sudden death syndrome starting to show up. Can I still treat and, and stop it? And, and the answer is no, you're, you're in trouble now because that infection happened early. Why does it take so long for it to show up in the plant? Yeah, just, it. you know, the environment's got to be right for it to develop. So, you know, the infection takes hold early on, sort of has a latency period in, in, the, uh, in the soybean. And in those conditions, you know, maybe wetter, sometimes cooler conditions. A lot of it has to do with field history and so forth. And, and uh, so once those conditions are sort of met a little bit later in the season, that's when it kind of, kind of blows up. And, you know, it's not just a seed treatment, you know, knowing the field history, uh, knowing the soybean uh, genetic background that you're planting, that all comes into play as well as, you know, susceptibility of the variety you're planting as well as field history. You know, it's interesting as you look at, at some of these sudden death syndrome spots, and it, it tends to be in the same areas, in the same fields, and not not every year necessarily, but I, I look at compaction as being one of those things that's totally manageable. But yet, when I go into a lot of these sudden death syndrome spots, I do see compaction being a contributing factor in many of them. Yeah, I mean, I think anything you do to stress the soybean plant, whether it's, you know, compaction, any any kind of abiotic or biotic stress that you're going to put on the plant, and you've had historically had an issue with SDS, and you get to the conditions, it's just going to exasperate the, the, the issues, so... You know, minimize the stresses on the soybean and and do a proper seed treatment. And you can help, you know, eliminate or at least reduce the uh, the development of SDS. Now, one question we get, Jeff, from farmers, they, they look at, at soybean cyst nematode as a, a terrible problem. And <clears throat> growers know, hey, I still want to plant a nematode-resistant bean, even if I'm going to put some additional help on, like Saltro does uh, pr- seem to provide some help on soybean cyst nematodes as well. With sudden death syndrome, is that something where we still need to be picking the best varietal tolerance as well or or is a product like saltro just so good on sds that that it could do it all by itself no i I think it's a systems approach i mean you you don't want to put all the pressure on you know one control or one piece of of, you know way to sort of uh, manage it you need to think about the whole program the whole picture you know whether it's um you know first doing the the seed care piece of it with Saltro, but then also, you know, choosing the proper genetics that you help sort of uh, help reduce soybean cyst, cyst nematodes more than just by, you know, the seed treatment, but, but genetics as well. You know, another thing, Jeff, uh, we think about the dosage. When you're putting something on the seed, wow, you can't really put that much product on the seed. Uh, how does that work? And and is there a, a, are there a variety of rates that you've looked at with Saltro where you've found just one that works the best, or, or what do you like to recommend there? Yeah, I mean, we basically, there's one rate, and, and you know, we don't want to cut the rates or anything like that. We go with our, our prescribed rate, and... Um, you know, a lot of it is is just, you know, how you're treating the soybean. I mean, you have a very effective uh, 
seed treatment in Saltro and, <clears throat> you know, really good formulation, really easy to handle. And, but you got to really think about physically treating the seed, you know, doing a proper seed treatment, making sure you're calibrated to put on the correct rate. And, you know, that's part of it too. You've got to properly apply the, uh, the product for it to be effective. Yeah, I know that Syngenta does a, a lot of work on this the, with the Seed Care Institute and, and the group of folks that you have that's just dedicated to the seed treatment business. That, that's been fantastic. And then looking at some of these active ingredients like Saltro, it's an SDHI chemistry with with just great movement. Uh, what what makes that SDHI just so much better than, than several of the others? Because Syngenta's got several SDHIs in, in the portfolio. What makes Saltro so good? Yeah, just the chemical properties really favor it to be a very effective uh, uh, seed treatment. You know, it, it helps surround that seed when it's when it's germinating and, you know, early, you know, the first several weeks into the growing season really provides that protective layer to, you know, to minimize or prevent infection, not only from the SDS infections, but, you know, Phytophthora and things like that. So it you know, it's just the chemistry lends itself to be a very effective uh, uh, seed treatment or seed, you know, active ingredient for seed care. Now, you mentioned um, the the control starting right at the beginning with the seed treatment. How about adding additional stress tolerance uh, with fungicide applications, insecticides in season. Have you seen some differences there too, where even where growers put on Saltra, if they, they continued doing some other stress management, they saw big differences? I personally haven't seen that, but I mean, I, I would think that would lend itself to, uh, to help the plant manage some of the stresses. You know, like I said, you really you know, anytime that plant stresses and then you have the environment for SDS, it's just going to make it that much worse. So, <clears throat> you know, you don't want to necessarily apply a seed treatment that, that sort of sets a plant back or causes any phyto like some of the older older um, SDS uh, 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 seed treatments. So, yeah, anything you can do to help minimize stress. I don't particularly have data to show that, but it certainly, in my mind, could help. Yeah, it's hard to quantify all those additional stresses out there. We know we're going to have plenty of them during the growing season, but uh, when you talk about sudden death syndrome, making those good decisions up front, getting good varietal tolerance, and picking a, a great seed treatment to help prevent SDS infection is is a big, big deal. been talking with Jeff Ellis here down in Missouri with Syngenta. Jeff, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. All right. Thank you for the time. You bet. Yeah, no, soybean harvest is coming really close here on our farm. It's going to be fun to see how a lot of the different treatments have, have worked this year. We haven't had sudden death syndrome, though, where we're at in our part of South Dakota, and I'm not wishing that we get it, believe me. Uh, but right across the border in Iowa, we've seen a lot of issues with sudden death syndrome, and we've got a, a fantastic pathologist, Allison Robertson, coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Compromise is nice. 
if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitec fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tougher weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about sudden death syndrome in soybeans on today's program, but also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, i got Allison Robertson on with us right now, pathologist down at Iowa State University. Allison, thank you so much for being on today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Darren. All right, so sudden death syndrome, uh, I, I mentioned it uh, just before the break. Haven't seen so much of that over in South Dakota just yet. Uh, hopefully you guys get it under control in Iowa, and it never moves any farther. That would be a dream, right? 
Oh, but we like to share. <laughs> well, we we got lots of good things we could share. Let's let's keep sudden death syndrome out of fields. And and I know you do advise a lot of growers on exactly how to do that. So, what are some of the important things that, that we need to know about sudden death syndrome? So, um, sudden death syndrome is caused by a fungus that lives in the soil, and it infects the soybean plants very early on. So, as those plants are germinating. And we know that if conditions are cool and wet at planting, that that increases the chances that we're going to have infection by the sudden death syndrome fungus. And then that fungus colonizes the roots um, and causes a root rot, um, which obviously is hard to see, right, because they're covered in dirt. But later on in the growing season, normally around about um, reproductive stages, you'll start to see those foliar symptoms which is that um, yellowing in between the, the veins of the leaf. And a lot of times we see those symptoms start after we've had um, some very wet weather, so after those soils have been soaked. And that's not the fungus moving up the plant. That's actually the fungus in the roots producing a toxin that is then translocated up the plant to the leaves where it causes those symptoms that we see and then we know that we have sudden death syndrome in that field. All right. You mentioned the, the symptomology and what it looks like. And I know there's a lot of growers right now seeing sudden death syndrome in their field. But they're also seeing some other diseases that look pretty close. What what would you say are the, the lookalikes like brown stem rot, red crown rot? Maybe there's even more. And what are some of those distinguishing things so we can tell which is which? That's a great question. So, yes, sudden death syndrome can be con confused with a lot of different um, diseases. And brown stem rot is the most um, common one. Um, and then others include red crown rot. Um, I've seen those foliar symptoms with phytophthora before, with white mold, and then also with stem canker. So the way to diagnose that you've got sudden death syndrome is First of all, it's pretty easy to pull the plants out of the um, soil because there's a lot of root rot. So they don't have a good root system holding them in. The other thing is that if you look on the outside of the stem, you're not going to see any symptoms whatsoever. It's just going to be what looks like a nice green, healthy stem. So with something like phytophthora um, or white mold or stem canker, um, you would see brown discoloration, brown cankers or lesions on the outside of the stem. So with sudden death syndrome, you have a green stem. When you split that stem open, then um, what you want to do is check the pith. If the pith, the white part in the stem, has some browning that's starting at the nodes, then what you're looking at is brown stem rot. With sudden death syndrome, you don't have any browning of that pith. But what you'll notice is if you split those stems all the way down through the taproot, the taproot tissue, the, the woody tissue there in the taproot, is going to be kind of discolored, a gray-brown. It just doesn't look healthy, right? If you dig up a healthy plant and you split it, that taproot will look nice and white. Um, and so that's, that's the best way to diagnose SDS is there's, unfortunately, there's not a a lot of distinguishing symptoms in there in that stem right it's almost like a lack of stem um, symptoms nice green stem but a, a a 
um, discolored taproot. All right, so that's kind of the later season. Let's talk about that early season again. You mentioned this is a fungus that lives in the soil. Does it overwinter, and how long does it persist once you have it? Can you get rid of it by rotating for just a few years, or do you have it forever? Um, it's a fungus that lives in the soil. It can survive our winters, so, um, you know, that's that's not going to do anything to the fungus. And no... Um, it's got, well, it's going to be there forever. And especially on our corn, soybean um, rotations, it's going to stick around. There has been some um, work done at Iowa State by Matt Lieberman and Leonor Leandro who showed that if you included alfalfa and um, a, uh, something else, alfalfa and a clover, I think, in the rotation system. So instead of having this corn-soybean rotation, if you had a three-year rotation, which included this clover, or a four-year rotation, which included clover and alfalfa, that we would dramatically reduce the amount of ASDS. Yeah. Um, we're not, we don't really understand why. We don't understand what the mechanism is, but it's amazing how much it will reduce ASDS. Well, very interesting. I think there's a lot of livestock producers out there saying, yes, we'd like more competition in the hay market. Maybe this maybe this will do it. Put it in where you've got some SDS. Uh, okay, how about the impact on other crops? You, you mentioned uh, some different crops that we might see in rotation. Is this just something that impacts soybeans, or are there other crops that SDS can hurt too? Uh, that's a great question, Darren. And uh, um, as far as I'm aware, SDS will only impact soybeans. We know that the fungus can survive on corn roots um, and corn, corn residue left in the, in the field. So it's a pretty good saprophyte as well. Um, I suspect that it probably um, can survive in association with weeds. I'm not sure that those weeds get symptoms or not. I have to admit that I have not kept up on that side of the literature. About alternative well, there there are so many different potential weed species out there too. It just takes a lot exactly. of work to to yeah. <laughs> to try and document all of that. Okay, well, one other Absolutely. thing you said that was kind of troubling to me here, though, is you mentioned cool and wet soils uh, can yeah. can lead to more infection. And I like to plant early, Allison. I've seen more yield on our farm when we plant our beans as soon as we hit that crop insurance date, which is in late April. But that almost yep. guarantees me I'm going to have cool soils and probably cool and wet for a little while. So uh, what what can I do? Are the seed treatments effective enough help? Or in those heavy SDS pressure areas, do I just have to wait? No. I mean, I, I would – so um, I, I want to say that Sean Connery and Darren Mueller, Damon Smith, those guys, they did a little bit of work on this and um, – First of all, the seed treatments do great. So there's the Saltro and the Levo, right, which will reduce the amount of SDS. So um, they're not silver bullets. They're not going to, you know, you, you could still have SDS, but they're going to reduce the severity of it by, by using a seed treatment. So I would recommend a seed treatment if you know that the field you're planting into has a history of SDS. And then as opposed to changing your planting date to later, no, that is definitely... Um, not what you want to do um, because if you 
SDS is a disease, right? And you think about the disease triangle. And so um, in some years, you're not going to have any problems with SDS. And then in other years, you're going to have problems. And, you, you know, we just, we don't have a, a clear enough crystal ball at the moment to be able to tell whether SDS is going to be a problem or not. So, so rather than compromising your yield potential, plant early. If you know that that field has, a, has had a history of SDS, then yes, I would suggest going ahead and putting a seed treatment on. Well, Allison, uh, we're out of time, but we really appreciate having you on. Great stuff as always, and I, I always hope that you're not busy. I always hope you aren't seeing lots of diseases out there, but I've been through Iowa this year. I know you've been busy all season long, so thanks for taking a little time yeah. to join us. You're very welcome. Job security for me, Darren. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, uh, sudden death syndrome is one we, we didn't get rid of with this conversation, but we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things you can do in your field to be successful, even in the face of sudden death syndrome. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com howler. Condition your beans to 13% moisture and add semi-loads to your bottom line with an end zone or grain temp guard bin management system. Plus, with 13% off all models while supplies last, now is the best time to upgrade. Go to farmshopmfg.com. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPhD Insider at agphdinsider.com.
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open for your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag here. We got one from Jared. And he said, first of all, guys, I want to thank you for what you do for the ag community by promoting and educating. My father and I were able to attend your field day in July. It was very informative and a great event. Hey, thanks, Jared. We really appreciate that. Uh, he said, my questions for you today, I'm from southwest Missouri, and we've had a record drought this summer, roughly three inches of rain all summer, resulting in most of the corn being chopped and baled for baleage. Ours averaged four to six wet tons per acre, and insurance checks estimated the corn crop at five to 13 bushels per acre. Oh, sorry to hear that, Jared. That's, that is no fun. He said, now, guys, my question here, we've been grid sampling for several years and variable rating, and we follow corn with no-till winter wheat. Then we double crop soybeans into the wheat stubble. Normally, we'd overlay our yield map from corn with our grid samples generating our variable rate map for the wheat double crop bean application at once in the fall. But I'm needing help here trying to figure out what an average nutrient removal rate would be on failed corn. I really can't find any low yield failed corn removal rates. How would you guys go about figuring this out? Yeah, just use the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. I, I mean, you plug in five bushel or fifteen bushel corn or whatever it is, and there you go. Well, here's so. the challenge, Brian. If there's not much corn on, but you're baling up residue, when you're baling four to six wet tons of well, bales per acre, it's a little different than just the grain. Yes, and so I, I guess what I was going to add here is. If all I was taking off is the grain, that's the way I'd do it. But if you're taking off, if you're baling like you're suggesting, then you have to test those bales. That's the only way to do it. There's not going to be anything that's going to be close to accurate in terms of giving you an idea of how many nutrients you removed unless you test those bales. And then you just weigh out, okay, how many tons did I take off? What was the moisture? All that kind of thing. And then test the bales and see, okay, how many nutrients did I remove? That's the only even close to accurate way you can do it. Otherwise, you have to resoil test everything. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would just think I'd be resoil testing just to see what we've got. Me and it's too. it's been That's amazing. Right. We've had a couple of years of drought here and we had a lot of carryover nitrogen that was left in the soil. One of the things that we found is the mineralization doesn't doesn't necessarily just disappear because we didn't raise a great crop. There's a lot of heat and a little bit of moisture and we did see organic matter mineralization releasing nutrients that our crop just flat couldn't use. So make sure you're getting credit for those too. Hey, Darren, let's, let's talk about one other thing here, and I know it's not related to this question exactly, but you just mentioned this drought and all the carryover end we had, and what we did is we side-dressed a bunch of nitrogen. And I think that was the right strategy to raise as much grain as we possibly could, but it was the wrong strategy for trying to raise as much tonnage out of the silage that we need. 
So I, I was just talking to our research lead, Glenn, this morning, and we were just going through, you know what? Early on in the season, if it's going to be silage, and we know 100% for sure it's going to be silage, I think we almost need a little luxury feeding early in the season to get the corn plants taller, and we definitely have to push populations more, or at least make sure that final stands, final, final stands are great, because both of those things, in my opinion and in Glenn's opinion, really hurt us this year on tonnage. Now the yield, and if you think about, just think about this for a second when we talk about wheat. Okay, what do we usually say for wheat? You don't want to have too much N early because then the plant just gets excessively tall. And you want to have the N later so you have yield and especially protein. Okay, so those are different factors than the tonnage that we're talking about here for silage. So I just think when it comes to this, oh, we've got a bunch of carryover nitrogen, that's great, and I'm happy that we have that. But in, instead, what what we did is we said, all right, we already are sitting here with 200 pounds. We only need another 50 or 100 pounds for our crop. And we side-dressed it, and I don't think that was the right strategy to raise the best silage possible. Grain, yeah, I think our yields are going to be pretty good. But the tonnage just isn't there for silage. What do you think? Well, there, there's no doubt that the crop was shorter this year, and that really hurts right. the tonnage. So even if right. you did produce yep. grain, producing two-foot shorter corn is going to mean less less tons. All right, yep. uh, another question here that Jared had is on insects. And he said, said we've been having ongoing uh, problems with corn earworm and soybean podworm, and we've switched to Tricepta corn, and that trait has really helped a lot. But on soybeans, we're still seeing a lot of podworm pressure, and we just haven't been able to keep up with it on insecticide because they just keep coming. Uh, what do you guys think about some of these natural viruses that are getting used uh, as biopesticides to try to stop insects? Are you seeing any promising data on those? Uh, if so, do you have any that, that you've used that you would suggest? No. Nope, I don't have anything for podworm, any biological. Do you know of anything? You know, they, they've certainly been out for probably 10 years, some of these, but in many cases they're getting used with an insecticide. And I, I do think that's smart, too. There isn't, I, I guess I just haven't seen any that have just been lights out that I would say, man, all my crop is out there at risk. I'm just going to put it all on a biological to do everything for me and do it quick. Because some of those work okay, but they take some time too. So no, I don't have any favorite product in that class just yet, but we'll, we'll keep our eyes out on that for sure. You know, when it comes to insects that just continually come, uh, I look at some of those newer insecticides that just last a little bit longer as maybe, maybe something like a, a Vanticore or um, similar products, Prevathon, those types of things would be would be decent options. What do you think of those, Brian? Yep, yep, I agree. I mean, I what here's what I wish. I wish we could put something down at planting time and have it last all season. But unfortunately, I don't know of what that would be. I, I mean, I will tell you this: we did put Capture LFR on our soybeans this year for the first time ever because I was worried about bug problems, especially when the soybean price is $15 a bushel. So I'm going, we can't afford to lose anything. I mean, to put Capture LFR down is less than one bushel of beans. So that's the reason why we did it. Now, how much did that help us? I don't know. But I do know, like in our area, 
when you put capture LFR out early, you're going to get early season control on things like bean leaf beetles. You're going to get later season suppression on soybean aphids, grasshoppers, a bunch of other insects. But when you start talking about soybean podworm, are we going to do anything there? I seriously doubt it. All right. Thanks for the questions, Jared. Thanks for the support, too. I really appreciate having you up at the, the field. I hope, hope you're able to come again next year. I get this one in from Eli, and Eli said, guys, we are planting wheat for the first time. Uh, just wondering, what do you recommend for seed treatment with wheat? Uh, we want to try and do things the best we can. Yep. So it's going to be a combination of fungicides, probably get three different modes of action out there, insecticide, and then I'd use some biologicals as well. So we like a couple of products, Heat Shield and NutriCycle personally, but there are a number of different products out there that you could try on the biological front. So that's the direction I would go. All right, thanks for the question, Eli. Yeah, we, we want to make sure we're using a complete seed treatment, and, and when you think about how much they really cost, they're really pretty inexpensive on a per-acre basis and provide a lot of good early season control, and also if you're putting out seed here in the fall, uh, improved winter survival in many cases too. All right, got a really tough weed control question here. This one comes from Jeff, and he said, after an early harvest, we're seeing some regrowth of honey vine milkweed out in the field. We're looking for a fall application strategy, both timing and products that we can consider here to get complete control of honey vine milkweed. Next year, uh, we plan on corn and soybeans in these particular fields. Now, honey vine milkweed, for anybody listening, uh, that is a really tough perennial weed. And we do get a lot of questions this time of year about perennial weeds. So we'll go into some details here on when to spray and what to spray if you've got a tough perennial weed. And a lot of these rules will be true, not just for honey vine milkweed, but for other perennials you may have in your fields or in pasture or grass areas too. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. 
Introducing our most advanced technology from Hypro, the 9915 series diaphragm pumps. Upgraded with corrosion-resistant materials and a multi-piston design to work longer and harder in any condition. Hypro, right on technology, right on target. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. So I had this question from Jeff that we, we just started on right before the break about controlling honey vine milkweed, which is a tough perennial. Uh, it's after harvest now, and he's starting to see some regrowth on the honey vine milkweed. Just wondering when's the exact right time to get this under control and what products could be used because they want to plant corn and soybeans on these acres next year safely. All right, Brian, perennial weed control in the fall, it's not easy because there's so many jobs going on. And sometimes folks say, well, man, I got to get harvest done first, but it gets awfully cold by the time harvest is done, at least in our geography. Yeah, no, I think this actually is easy. It's just not going to be your favorite choice where you have to stop combining and you got to go spray the honey vine milkweed today. The reason why I say that is you want to hit it before the first killing frost. Now, it all depends on where you're located at. For us, that killing frost is coming soon. So we've got to spray today. But if you're in another area that doesn't get a frost until November normally, you got you got time. But the reason why you want to get this done is the Roundup performance on perennials is excellent before the first frost. After the frost, your performance goes down significantly. You're trying to get the glyphosate to move all the way down through the extensive root system of, in this case, honey vine milkweed or any perennial weed. And it will do a great job when the temperature outside is warm and the plant is still actively growing. But if even, let's say that the frost is coming tomorrow, you're probably already too late, but I, I, I'd probably still go for it anyway. But I'm just saying, if, if you can, try to be at least a few days in front of that frost or earlier 
and then you'll have great results. And then in terms of rate, this is very, very rate sensitive. You have to have enough product for it to move all the way through that whole root system and kill every single growing point. Because if you're going to spray, why just ding the product up? Why just damage it? Why just knock down the top growth? Let's kill the whole thing, and then you don't have to fight it again in the future. So that's what I do. Use the highest labeled rate, and you'll be in pretty good shape. And don't do any tillage. Don't chop it up on these perennials. Right. You chop those root systems up, and there's going to be that many more weeds coming. Now, that, okay, that's fine in a field situation. And uh, thanks for that question, Jeff. We really appreciate it. But Tom has another question kind of along the same line. Here he said, I've got a field bindweed problem. However, it's in my lawn, and it's on about an acre and a half of lawn. I've sprayed the max rate of Weedar 64, so a 2,4-D product in the spring, it, it just didn't have much effect. Wondering, is there a shot that I can spray something on it to control it this fall? Tom's up in Michigan. Well, I hate to say this, but to spray anything other than 2,4-D, and, and please, in the future, I wouldn't spray Weedar. Spray Freelex. But to spray anything other than 2,4-D... I mean, you're you're taking your chances in terms of injuring other things. So, for example, this is this is why Tordon and Milestone aren't labeled in lawns because we're worried about oh, you're going to kill a tree or some other beneficial plant. Yeah. Now, when you talk um, about an acre and a half here too, that seems like a really big lawn. I'm guessing this is maybe right. a farmyard or something like that. And uh, yeah. yeah, if you're if you're way away from trees, that's one thing. I I don't know. There's a lot of trees in Michigan. Maybe that isn't the case here. Yeah, I'm guessing it's just a big lawn, and I, and there probably are trees close by. So, no, what I would seriously take a look at, though, is cutting the water volume. That's usually the biggest problem that we see with the use of 2,4-D is people want to throw all kinds of water with it, and they also a lot of times will buy watered-down product. Now, Weed R64 is fine. It's a four-pound 2,4-D, just like Freelex is the new 2,4-D that doesn't volatilize all over the country. So that's the direction I would go. But the problem is you're going to have to hit it three times a year for at least three years, and then hopefully you're going to be okay. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just throw this out too. So let's say it was a pasture. What would I do if it was a pasture? I might throw something out there that had some stinger in it, but you can't use stinger in a backpack sprayer or a four-wheeler because Stinger can get into your eyes and it's super bad for your eyes. A regular farm sprayer, perfectly fine. Um, you, you've got Tordon. You've got Milestone. You could use Distinct in the pasture. Um, you could use the new Duracore out in the pasture. I mean, there are lots of options for you out in the pasture. Just unfortunately, in a lawn situation, we don't have all those choices. All right. Thanks for the question. And, you know, the other thing that we get into, too, I should mention this, Tom, on lawns, and, and our great uncle uh, did this a number of years back. He was really struggling with, uh, in this case, creeping Charlie. Uh, that was a tough perennial weed in his lawn. He sprayed Roundup on the lawn, killed the whole lawn off, and he still had some creeping Charlie come back because I don't think he sprayed a high enough rate of Roundup. But Roundup isn't that effective on field bindweed. Even a couple of quarts has only been like 80% control yep. in a lot of the trial Right. So, uh, like Brian was saying, multiple shots for a few years is probably what it's going to take. There are also a lot of people that like to use mesotrione now in the lawns. 
uh, and I can't think of the name that they'll typically buy of the, the name brand product. But anyway, it'd be like Callisto in corn, but I don't remember the name brand product in the lawn. But anyway, I'm just saying Miso and any of the HVPDs, they're also not good on field bindweed because, it, it, well, when, whenever you have those, that class of, of weed, you just don't get good control out of HVPDs, unfortunately, those creeping weeds. Oh, hey, uh, we got Rick on uh, the phone right now. He's out in Utah, and he's got an idea for us on this bindweed. Rick, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? Pretty good. So quinclorac, that's the that's the secret? Drive? Uh, yeah, drive, quinclorac. It's, there's a whole bunch of generics, but I've dealt a lot with turf, and if you put on a pound per acre of quinclorac, should do a really good job. Excellent. Well, I believe that is labeled in the state of Michigan. It's labeled for turf. Yeah, you have to check the label uh, up in your oh. state, Tom. Make sure that's labeled up there. I think it is. Uh, but yeah, that, I'm sure that's it is. that's good. Yeah, Brian and I have both it used quinclorac, and and that's been a nice product for crabgrass and and uh, clover and a number of other things in the yard too. So, no, that's awesome. Thanks, yeah, Rick. Really appreciate bind it. Field bindweed is on the label. So, excellent. Yeah, like driving between consultation jobs. So. Awesome. I just heard that, and I thought, I better call you. Yeah, yeah, I really so, appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, like Darren said, we talk about that quite often when it comes to crabgrass and a few other weeds. But, yes, uh, yep, he's absolutely right. It's it's definitely labeled, and I, I just I didn't even think of it. No, off the top I, of my I guess head. I haven't had to spray field bindweed with that before. So, nope. so really appreciate that, Rick. That was, that was awesome. All right, uh, I got a question from someone named Darren down in the state of Iowa, and he said, guys, I had 18 to 20 kernels around on many years of corn this year, but they were five kernels shorter than they were last year. Last year, we only had 14 to 16 around. I'm just wondering, uh, at what growth stages are the kernels around determined and the length of that year determined? Does it matter about nitrogen when you're putting that on? What are some of the big factors? Yeah, so it's early in the season when the the kernels around are determined. So I, off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly what. I usually it is, say V two, V two to V three. Yeah, it's real early when the kernels around. That's where. Well, V V two is when the ear shoots are initiated. I think it's V four to V six. Just thinking off the top of my head. It's it's going super. Around, it's, it's super later. early. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's we do later for the length. We do definitely see more girth where we're putting on banded fertility either in a two by two or where we've got a strip till band and you may say wait a second you're not going to reach that strip till band yet depending on the depth take a look at how deep those roots are even on small corn plants oftentimes when we've got a four inch tall corn plant on our farm we'll have a 12 inch deep root so if you don't have compaction uh, you can get down a ways but yes your odds are much better if it's banded uh, within just a few inches of the row and then yeah for that length it does does come a little bit later, uh, but I'd like to try to have my fertility in place by V2 if I can when I'm thinking about girth and by V6 if I'm thinking about length, uh, and, and that way I've got a lot of stuff there. But, of course, you're not going to finish off that ear and fill out to the tip if you run short of nutrients later, so you do have to kind of watch that through the season. Well, you got to do everything, though. I mean, it's it's weeds, insects, diseases, fertility, how much moisture you have. I mean, everything at each of these stages. 
Hey, thanks. That's a great question, Darren. Thanks for bringing that up. We really appreciate that. Uh, I had one comment that came in. That's from John. He said, thank you, guys. You're helping a lot. Uh, I really appreciate that, John. I, I, I know we've got a lot of different topics that we cover, and if there's ever something that you want to hear a little bit more about agronomically, just let us know. We'd be, be happy to talk about that, too. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.